anything like that. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Above Park Golf Show. Today, I've got a very special guest on the show, Christina Kim, winner on the Ladies European Tour and three-time winner on the LPGA Tour. Christina, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, Alex. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. So we, we touched quickly there. You just come off practice. So you're preparing for the Pro-Am at the moment, you said? No, I am taking this week off. So oh, but you, you said you had the Pro-Am at the, on the marathon on the 5th, was it? 7th, yes. Okay. Yes, so yes, yes. It's, 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 sorry. I, time has no place in my <laughs> life anymore. So yes, I uh, just got off some practice prepping for uh, the next few tournaments that are coming up, including my trip overseas. Oh, cool. I mean, I think you can be forgived. I mean, you guys must have a incredibly busy schedule every week, every month. What's uh, things like for you at the moment with COVID? Is everything kind of normal? I mean, you've been playing in the LPGA the last four weeks running, I think. So you must be pretty busy week on week. Yeah, I've played the last six events um, six. and it's been a lot. Uh, obviously everything is a little bit different now than it was this time last year, because we have a lot more information in terms of the coronavirus. We, um, I am fully vaccinated. Congratulations to you as well for receiving your second shot. Very yeah. happy to hear that. <laughs> I, uh, things are definitely different, but it's kind of funny because during the season last year, during COVID, I actually felt like I had more time available to myself. Whereas nowadays I feel like, oh God, I only have 24 hours to get everything done. So things are definitely a little bit different. I am still, even though I'm fully vaccinated, I'm still wearing a mask wherever I go. I am living small. I'm cooking for myself and my caddy, Todd, all the time. And, you know, I, I have been, you know, just really enjoying the time that I've been able to spend with and for myself. Yeah. So it was actually, it was actually my first shot. So I think it's hurting me a little bit more than the second one should. So my arm's been dead for like two, two days, uh, what the whole night and day now. And I'm like worried about my golf game. <laughs> Got to keep it moving. That's the big thing. Got to keep it moving. Get, like, like a chicken, a a chicken at the moment in the in the always like this telly at the moment <laughs> trying to keep things moving <laughs> but yeah I mean I imagine you guys are constantly in a bubble as well every time you're moving I mean where you're playing now do you still have to kind of do any sort of bubble system or quarantine where you where you're playing now uh well everything differs from state to state and this year is definitely a little bit different now that we have a greater percentage of the general population as well as a greater percentage of the tour that is vaccinated. So for me, I, um, you know, our tour has allowed us, we don't stay in a bubble in the way that we do when we visit Europe or how it is on the, the European tours. I do a lot of Airbnbs. I stay in rentals. I cook for myself. We, we just recently announced that they are going to allow for indoor dining. If you're fully vaccinated, that sounds awful to me. So uh, not just because I don't necessarily know the vaccination status of everyone else. And sure. you're in the States, you're not really allowed to ask someone if they're vaccinated. Um, definitely not with employees, I should say. Businesses okay. can't, can't mandate to their employees to be vaccinated. 
um, in a, a, or a lot of businesses. I don't remember exactly which one. Some you can, some you, I don't, I don't know how everything goes. So I just go on the assumption that mm-hmm. no one is vaccinated so that I can stay safe. Um, and also truth be told, I mean, anything that I can get at a restaurant, I could probably make it better. I'm a fantastic cook. I love to cook. Yeah. So I'm a big proponent of knowing what's in my food as well as getting as close of an idea of where it's sourced from. Okay. So what sort of stuff do you cook in the, in the house or the Airbnb then? Oh God. I mean, I do some amazing braised short ribs. I do some awesome lemon rosemary chicken thighs. I do this awesome three day bolognese that if I know that I've got a good week of Uh timing going, then I'll start that at the beginning of the week. I love to, um, you know, Todd is great at grilling steaks. I like to do a little bit of like a pan sear or reverse sear and I mean, realistically anything. And, and I'll, I'll be having like a, a nice salad with like chopped kale, shaved Brussels sprouts, you know, like some Savoy cabbage, things like that. And nice. have it drizzled, drizzled with avocado oil and, you know, various salts and spices, nuts, things like that. Um, so it's, you know, it's been fun for me to really be able to delve into something more culinary than just horking down some food, if you will. <laughs> sure. I mean, is it, is it difficult though, to kind of prepare yourself for the tournaments and stuff like that when you're either not maybe stuck in an Airbnb, but you know, you're not in maybe a hotel that you used to, and you having to cook for yourself. I mean, before COVID, were you cooking for yourself? Did you have somebody to do that kind of thing for you or is it not much difference? Oh, yeah. So there's an L before the PGA. We, one, don't have the same kind of financial ability to have someone cook for us, Mm -hmm. Um, nor would I want someone to. (laughs) I've talked with a couple of uh, other caddies and other players about doing, you know, when it's safe to, to do sort of like a cooking battle um, Mm. because I'm a very good cook. That sounds fun. I have not with the exception of times that I've had to, if I have not stayed in a hotel in years, I much prefer renting houses, renting apartments, flats, things like that, because generally for the same price, you're going to be able to get a bedroom, a, uh, you know, at least one bedroom, you know, nowadays my caddy Todd stays with me. So we have to get two bedroom places, at least, um, a full kitchen, a, a living area, dining area. And it's going to be the same as a hotel and you're not going to be stuck just staring at the same four walls sure. and have a toilet, you know, that's, um, <laughs> yeah. for me, I, I, I like having that sense of home and cooking is very meditative for me. So anytime I'm able okay. to do that, that's something that I definitely want to do. Yeah. I was going to say, it must feel a lot more at home, like you said, rather than just literally stuck in what is normally four walls with a bathroom. So yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Um, and how does your kind of week look then before a tournament in terms of your preparation with practice, any fitness or nutrition side of it? What's your kind of weekly routine, if you like, before a tournament? Well, uh, you know, I generally, if I'm able to, I would like to come in on a Sunday before a tournament, whether that means, you know, getting in late at night between tournaments or if say you have a week off, you can get to a tournament, you know, so at some point on a Sunday, if you miss a cut, it kind of stinks when you're able to like, oh, I can get to the golf course early on Sunday. Great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, you know, just being able to sort of acclimate myself to the region, uh, settling into the Airbnb, doing some grocery shopping. And, you know, it 
depending on the tournament and depending on on what the pro-am structure is like, if I'm going to be playing and um, practicing, you know, it's it's generally, you know, nine holes on Monday, you know, might do nine holes on Tuesday, 18 on Wednesday for the pro-am, or I'll switch one of those days around, things like that, you know, but just just, you know, you just, you, you hit balls, you work on things that you're working on, get a, sure. a feel for the speed of the greens, um, you know, just continue to try and improve on the short game and, and just enjoy the time that I'm, I'm there because, you know, it's, it's always such a pleasure and, and it really is something that's a bit of an honor to be able to play competitively, do something I love and love something, love what I'm able to do. For sure. And you touched on it a little bit before about how, the, how it's now, you know, it's the LPGA and you, you don't have maybe the, the finances to be able to get all these chefs or whatever. I mean, how... how Plus I can of, outcook them. Yeah, as well. So what sort of staff do you have that help you out then? Because, you know, these days people are introducing stuff like, um, you know, um, kind of not psychologists, but people to help them with their kind of mental state now during tournaments. Like I know uh, Lexi Thompson is, is a big one that does it. So what sort of staff do you have maybe apart from your coach and your caddy that, that helps you out with getting ready for a tournament and, and playing in that tournament? Well, so I've been a professional going on 20 years now, and I have worked with a number of sports psychologists and without <laughs> bagging them too badly, the number of times where I would go to someone and say, hey, I've got problems one, two, and three, and what do you think I should do? And they turn around and say, well, what do you think you should do? And I sit there and think, I'm like, well, if I, if I had one, two, and three, um, you know, if I had A, B, and C, A and C will take care of one, B and C will take care of two, A immediately followed up with B with a touch of C will take care of three, you know, and they're like, oh, you know what? I love that. You said that with a lot of conviction. Now give me money. And I'm like, what the hell am I paying you money for? <laughs> I'm legitimately asking you to tell me what to do. I, I'm a strong, independent woman that does not need to be told what to do unless she asks. So if I'm actually asking for your help, I want you to give me help and not just have me self-diagnose and then give you money for my own self-diagnoses. So, um, you know, I've, I've had a very long history with my own mental health, including in attempts at my own life and things like that. So for me, you know, it, it's... Um, just really important to make sure that I'm checking in with myself and to make sure that I'm focusing on myself. And a lot of that happens by way of, and it sounds, it sounds terrible. Like it really, really does, but a lot of it does um, have to do with fitness and nutrition because I've been abiding by the keto lifestyle for almost two years now. And I think of the, foods that I eat as brain foods, because your brain is not a muscle. It's a globular sure. organ that's comprised of 60% fat. So I'm just eating brain food the way that I see it. And by way of my fitness, I'm able to keep up with my dopamine levels, you know, release of serotonin, melatonin, um, you know, oxytocin, prolactin, things like that. So those are the things that keep me in a good place and in a good space. And so those are probably a lot more important to me because sure. of a lot of the things that I've gone through and a lot of the things that I've learned over the years. So there's kind of like, you know, I, I don't really have much staff and I sure. wouldn't consider them yeah, staff one, one. anyway. They would be members of my team is the way that I would see it. Of course. Yeah. 
so do you think that's maybe a bit the part of how you kind of got out of this funk that you were that you talk about in terms of your you know your mental health or were there other factors that helped you kind of get out of that and help you with it even today or was it just more like eating better feeling good in the mind etc uh, Are you talking the, about my the... attempt at my own life? That happened more than 10 years ago. So that was just the culmination of me living in denial and not knowing how to ask for help and not understanding on a clinical level that, um, you know, it's like your, your car, your, sorry, your brain is a lot like a car in that sometimes it runs out of petrol. Sometimes it runs out of oil and sometimes your brain, you know, if you're overworked, if you're overexerted, if you're exhausted and you're not taking enough time for yourself to do these, you know, um, individual checkups, then, you know, you're going to find out that you've run out of oil and the car's not going to, the car's not going to operate. And it's the same sure. thing with your brain by way of serotonin. So, um, you know, a lot of that just had to come to the realization of the car has been stopped and you got to figure out what and why. And, yeah. um, so ever since then I've been, you know, doing a lot of constant maintenance checkups, you know, checking the oil levels and, sure. um, you know, making sure that I'm, I'm taking my car out for a ride, at least, you know, a couple of yeah, times a week, the keep the engine going, things like that, giving it a proper warm up, making sure I'm, you know, washing it every, you know, every week or so things like that. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something and, and learning what is, a way for me to meditate. And that does not mean sitting in the lotus position, going home. It's just a way to be able to access the part of your brain that is truly present. And in that presence, it's almost, it's a, it's like a, a, a combination of being completely void while being hyper-focused mm -hmm. and it will, um, there's, there's distractions don't affect you. You're able to just really, truly stay in the moment. And again, for me, things like cooking, because, you know, a, a friend of mine um, knew a girl that, that suffered from an eating disorder. And the way that he described it to me was she's actually killing herself because food is life. Course, and she's yeah. denying herself food. So she's basically denying herself life. And so that stuck with me for, um, you know, for the last 15 years or so. And so for me, cooking is, is again, this very meditative, almost a, um, uh, you know, it, it almost transcends just the motion of stirring a pot or, or something like sure. that, you know, it's, you're creating something and you're, you're turning these random raw ingredients into something that's artistic and beautiful and nourishing and, uh, life affirming. Mm -hmm. So what, what was the sort of, um, you know, the, the key moment for you when you realized that maybe you had, or were you struggling with these kind of issues? Was it something that just kind of hit you straight away and you were like, you know, I don't feel good mentally, et cetera. Or was it something that kind of crept in over time? Well, I mean, I denied the reality of how I needed help for a number of years. And I almost jumped off the third floor or the, the roof of a three-story castle in Spain a couple of years ago. 
And the only thing that kept me from doing that was the fact that I had the keys to the car and I did not want my boyfriend to not have a ride home. So it sounds silly, but he was the one that saved my life. And it was in that moment when I didn't step over that I was like, yeah, something's not right. Sure. You know, and so had a long talk with him about it, bawled my eyes out. And I, I called um, the medical director of the LPGA and said, something's not right. And he was able to give it to me, you know, the, the, the car analogy that I gave you, he was able to give me a very clinical look at what some of the reasons why were, which is, you know, you're physically exhausted, you're emotionally exhausted, you're mentally drained, you're always trying to help other people, you're not focusing on yourself. And that's okay. There is, there are mm-hmm. fixes for that, you know, whether that's by way of, of, um, you know, um, so, uh, getting some synthetic, uh, serotonin in you, which is a route that I did decide to take for, uh, a couple of months or, you know, basically just kind of turning, you know, just turning inward and really focusing on things and really just focusing on the present. And nowadays, one thing I'm, a huge proponent of is something I call hibernation, which is like, I get home, I lay in bed. I don't watch anything. I just truly, I just lay there in bed and just breathe. And Mm -hmm. I will drink water. I'll have macadamia nuts, almonds, pilly nuts, things like that. But other than that, it's just water and some fats with a, you know, a moderate amount of protein and very low in carb. And I can do that anywhere from 12 hours to 10 days, depending on what my needs are. And the amount of uh, relief that I'm able to get by virtue of doing that is, is incredible because I, I, it's almost as if you can feel your body and your brain starting to repair themselves. And then after that, you know, you're like, well, I've been sitting here for six days. My muscles have atrophied. Now I got to get back into the gym. But instead of thinking now I got to get back into the gym, you say, now I get to go back to the gym and you feel rejuvenated and excited. Yeah. I mean, it's just basically meditation, isn't it? I mean, that's effectively what it does to you. It just calms everything down, puts you back in control. So you know, it's it's definitely a good technique to 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 use. And apart from the cooking and that, what else does Christina Kim like to do in a spare time outside of golf? Uh, I mean, I love to work out. I I watch a lot of news because I'm that many years old. And the <laughs> last several years, by way of politics here in the states, as as well as uh, politics in Australia, that I've been paying attention to because I love me the sand belt and politics taking place over in the UK and Scotland and Northern Ireland and France. Those are, those are, are things that are super important to me as well, because I think that being as well-learned as you can coming into, um, you know, how, how small the world really can be, I think is, is huge to understand where people are. Um, and, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I just, I love to practice. Like that's something yeah. that's huge for me. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I have started one of my own. Yeah. Called- I was going to come on to that. It's been, it's been awesome, by the way. I just want to really oh, quickly say I, um, I tuned in and I think you guys are, are really great. Like I love, you know, your attitude in general, how you just kind of, you know, it's really natural. It's just all you laughing jokes back and forth. I think it's a really cool and 
just a free-flowing podcast. So yeah, keep up that good work. Well, thank you. Yes, it's it's called Full Send with Christina Kim and Alan Shipnuck. And it's a uh, part of the Fire Pit Collective that Alan and Matt Janella had started up. It's uh, it's been a good time. Um, you know, but I, I love to listen to music. I actually have not watched a new show since March. It's like 11th or 12th of 2020. Wow. So no Netflix. Yeah. No, no, nothing new. I've got, you know, like, okay. there's like, I love Bob's burgers. Cause I'm still a child. Um, but I, I do, I do inhale the news and I do love my late night show, like my, the, the late night variety shows and things like that. But the way I saw it, like it was in the middle of May and I was like, no, you know what? Things might get really bad. And I do not <laughs> yeah. want to have watched the entire internet in yeah. that period of time and then have stuff get really bad so I was like I'll just wait and I'll be the I don't care about spoilers things like that if people spoil something it's all good but I'm like I if some if shit gets real bad then I need to uh have a means of being able to um sort of disappear from that by way of going onto my screens and things like that so are you the sort of person that will tune into any golf and stuff outside of the tournaments or are you kind of completely switch off I don't want to watch golf. I don't want to hear about golf when you're not playing yourself or practicing. Um, no, I mean, I'm a golf nerd. I love the game, all, all, all aspects of it. I love golf course architecture. I love going to different places. And, you know, if I, if, you know, heaven forbid, I miss a cut, I'm going to go and grind and get my practice on. And I'm also going to see if there's, if there's a great golf course in the area, I'll hit that up. There's no question of that. Um, but I do also love the human elements of tournament golf as well. And the only thing is, you know, it's kind of hard to juggle between, um, you know, watching the men and the women play because, you know, when the men are playing, I'm generally playing as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would have to go and do a little bit of a recap at the end of the day and see what's going on, who did what, try and, you know, scour the internet for, for clips of this and that. And mm-hmm. a friend of mine, uh, Ryan French, he started the Monday Q info account on Twitter, Mm -hmm. where it follows along with the Monday qualifiers prior to uh, PJ tour events and Mm -hmm. some of the amazing stories that they have there. And, and you get these journeymen, you get these kids are fresh out of college. You get every kind of golfer with every kind of background because it's, it's, it's not, it, nor should it always be about the PJ tour. You no. want to hear all of these stories about everyone that's trying to make it as well as these players that have, you know, they, they've won 120 mini tour events. And what is it that won't get them on the PJ tour? Cause it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with talent, you For know, sure. cause obviously in order to be able to go and shoot 58, you, you have to go and shoot 58, you know? So there's, there's, there's all kinds of like really fascinating stuff in that regard. Um, and so I think his Twitter handle is like at a uh, case of the Monday or case of Monday Q or case of Monday, something like that. And it's, it's, yeah. it's great stuff. Yeah. Do you keep up with the European golf much, the European tour? I know you play on the, the ladies European tour yourself. Do you, do you keep up with that much? I love, I love golf period. So yeah. yes, I, I, I'm not as, um, 
you know, I don't keep up as much. Like I'll, I'll know who's, you know, who the winners were. I'll know, you know, like Richard Bland's story was pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm really good friends with Sam Horsfield. So when he was able okay. to get his, you know, his two victories, um, that was really cool. Lucas Herbert is, he's an Aussie, but he does play in Europe a fair bit. You know, I, 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 I do keep up with the stories that are going on over there. And, and I love the golf courses that the guys play when they're over in Europe, you know, it's, it's not necessarily bomb and gouge like it is here in the States. And there's definitely, you've got so much power, like Wilco, holy hell. Yeah. But at the same time, <laughs> you have to still be able to have that sort of, you know, the finesse. And when you get people that, you know, you, that you watch them hit a shot and you're like, I think Savvy would be, Savvy <laughs> would be content with that shot. You know, it, sure. it, it's really, really cool to see that it's not just like all yeah. about muscles and just chucking a wedge somewhere on the green and trying to make a putt. You know, there's, there's more um, golf involved quite real, sure. quite literally, as opposed to it just being a drive chip and putt like the PJ tour every week. Sure. And like you said, the courses are, are obviously a lot different. I mean, you're somebody that's won on, on both European and US soil. Like some people in America might say that US uh, courses are harder than Europeans and Europeans will say the same vice versa. What's your opinion on it? Having, you know, played and, and having a lot of experience on both, both sides of the coin. Well, as a player that personally loves playing the ball along the ground, when I get the opportunity to, it's, it's just, it's difficult to really there. It's difficult to compare. It's, mm -hmm. it's like saying, you know, do you like steak or chicken? They're both meat. They're both sources mm -hmm. of protein, but they're very, very different. Um, you know, oftentimes in, in Europe, you're going to have courses that, and, and that's another thing is like, what, what makes a golf course harder? If you're going to have a course that's just longer, does that, why does that automatically make it harder? Or if you have a course that you just grow out the rough, like, is that what the, the, the true heart of the golf course um, was designed for? You know, yeah. and, and you look at a lot of these old courses, like these McKenzie courses, CB McDonald, Seth Rayner. It's like, well, I don't know if these courses were actually designed by way of the green complexes to be rolling at 13s and 14s. Sure. Because all of a sudden, so much of the golf course is no longer viable to actually play. So it's kind of hard to say. I'm not, I'm not sure if I could really say one is easier or, or more difficult than the other. They're just, they're, they're all beautiful and they all have something, um, to them like golf golf courses in America, I feel like are getting longer. You know, a lot of courses mm -hmm. are having to have renovations done and things like that. And we've got a lot of amazing golf course architects that are here in the modern day, like Tom Doak, Gil Hans. And then, you know, um, you know, you've got like Mike DeVries and like Michael Clayton, who's, who's over uh, doing some stuff in, in London and, and throughout Europe. Um, and he, you know, as an Aussie has an incredible eye when it mm -hmm. comes to um, being able to look at the topography of a, of a, of a region and be able to truly find out, you know, what was meant to be here and then converting it to something that the modern day golfer yeah. will be able to appreciate while still having faced as a challenge. For sure. Well, yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's more about 
which kind of players it maybe suits, isn't it? Rather than, like you said, which one's more difficult. It's just, obviously, if you're born in Europe, you're more likely to be used to those style of courses. Whereas if you're born in the US, you're more likely to be used to those. So, yeah, I kind of agree with that. I don't think it's much of a, an argument either. Um, and in terms of your career then, so you, like I said, you played on both of those tours and you've played in, of course, the Sohan Cup three times, I think. Three and oh in singles. Yeah. Three and oh. <laughs> so what's your experiences been like in, in that competition, first of all? Well, I would say as a player, the, the only way I could describe the Solheim Cup would be, is it double overtime where there are penalty kicks in football? Extra time. Extra time. Uh, it's extra time. You're staring at 2-2 by way of the uh, penal extra kicks. And you're just about, you're either the, co- the goalie or the kicker. And your contact is just about to be made with the football for three days straight. Yeah. Um, and this is, you know, like the World Cup finals. Sure. So it would that would be the closest I would be able to explain what the feeling is like being in Solheim Cup. Um, I will say I, I feel like there are some people that may have misconstrued where some of my exuberance comes from because I love Europe. It's one Mm -hmm. of the most incredible places in the world. The culture in all of these different countries is so amazing. The the history in and of itself. I celebrate great shots, whether I hit them or someone else hits them. Um, You know, at Rich Harvest Farms a few years ago, someone, you know, uh, Tanya Elosegi hold out for Eagle. I was was pumped for her. It was amazing. It was awesome to watch. I gave her a fist pump. I was like, that's how you do it. Like we're here to celebrate the game of golf. And I, I never think of it as an us versus them. You know, it's, it's, it's just us against the golf ball, against the golf course and, and against this competition. And so, yes, I mean, I get rowdy and I chant USA because I am proud to be American, but I, I, you know, when, whenever people would cheer when, cause there's a difference between me winning a hole versus another player losing the hole to me, if that makes sense. Like if someone uh, misses a putt. Yeah. You know, winning, you know, and, sure. and so you, you'll get some, some American fans that start cheering. I'll, I'll turn around and I'll shush them because that's not what we're here to celebrate. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's the greatest experience as a golfer and as a fan of the game that you could ever come across. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that and, you know, like the Ryder Cup is, for me, that's bigger than any of the, the the tours and the tournaments. It's just something something different about it. And, you know, I agree. It should always be about respect. And, and at the same time, it's it's respect based off how good the other people are as well and the competition you, you, you're playing against. But, yeah, I think it's just one of my all-time fi- all favourite, um, you know, that, that style of tournament. It's just that little extra level that comes out of the players and the fans every single time. So it's awesome. Um, and would you say then that that's probably like one of the happiest um, moments of your career playing in that competition or is there another particular moment that stands out to you in your in your past so far I've been so lucky to have played on three Solheim Cups and I have been so lucky to have three wins on the LPGA Tour in so far and you know I every moment is the best moment. And so I'm not here to say which one of the hundreds of thousands of moments I've had on golf courses would be considered my favorite. There's something incredible to be able to be gleaned out of every single one of them. 
for sure. And where's your golf game, do you feel, at right now? Like, how, how do you feel, say, compared to maybe 10 years ago when, you were, when you've won those LPGA tournaments? Do you still feel maybe, like, as hungry as you, as you once were? Or how, how do you feel in yourself now with the golf? Well, I actually feel hungrier now than oh, yeah? I did back then. Um, and I feel like uh, the only way I can really describe it is I feel like I actually know what the hell I'm doing now compared to back then, which is kind of comical. Um, but no, I mean, every single day, you know, the, the reasons why I get out of bed are um, to make coffee and to play golf. Those are, those are the reasons why I get out of bed. And for me, it's about the execution of the shot and doing that over and over and over and waiting until the end of the day to see what those actions culminate into. And so um, you know, I, I think my, my perspective has changed a little bit. Obviously I would, I want to win, but executing all the shots that you want to execute will generally end up in you winning because otherwise just saying, I want to win, like, what the hell does that even mean? How do you do that? You know, and, and it's all about staying present, staying in the moment and executing this shot right here, right now. Yeah, I, I heard you talking about this in your podcast where you were saying, were well, you talking about, first of all, the perfect round and you were like, well, you know, I'm not interested in the perfect round. I'm more just focused on each individual shot as it comes. And you're a bit of a perfectionist as well in that, I guess, right? I think every golfer is, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's hard to learn acceptance in golf um, because like, I remember the first time I shot 62 when I was a 17 year old junior wearing golf sandals and had <laughs> hair that might've been shorter than your, your facial hair right now. Um, <laughs> I, the, as amazing as that day was, I still sit here and I'm like, I missed the first green, <laughs> you know? And, and it, it's, it's so funny how that is the thought that kind of goes through mind. my mind there. Yeah. You know, so I think any golfer is is going to be a perfectionist because you you have to have that sort of uh, hunger and curiosity and excitement in order to improve. You know, in in anything in life. Yeah, for sure. What sort of players do you like watching at the moment on the LPGA and on the LET? What sort of uh, players do you like watching in terms of their potential? I mean, I could glean something from pretty much anybody that's out there. I, I, I think one thing that I am working on um, incorporating into Alan in my podcast is, is having more guests on and being able to prove to everyone that every single week we have 144 incredible stories and you have 144 players that you should be rooting for and you should have 144 players that are your favorite golfer because everyone has an amazing story. Everyone has something about their game that um, should be watched and looked at because that's how you make it out here on tour. You can't, you, you can't be a crap player and make it out on the LPGA tour. So, um, you know, I, I think that there's, there's something to be gleaned out of everybody that, mm -hmm. that I get the chance to play with. Yeah. And what, what's the plans with the podcast then? And why did you decide to, to get into that? Well, I first thought about the idea back in November of 2018 before golf podcasts really were a thing. Mm -hmm. And 
I had a couple of podcasts that I listened to, like um, Not Too Deep with Grace Helbig. She's an old school YouTuber that she just does a, a wonderful job. She, I, If I'm not mistaken, she's the first podcaster to actually do a video podcast or a video component to her podcast. And oh, wow. it, I mean, it, the way she's able to conduct interviews is just incredible. So, um, you know, and you combine that with, you know, every single article in every golf publication is watch what Dustin Johnson does. This is uh, Ricky Fowler's new wife. This is what Bryson DeChambeau is eating. And you'd get the occasional smattering of Lexi Thompson plays golf. And I'm like, how in the hell are you supposed to be able to fit an entire publication with the same bullshit stories? Every single week, there are 144 incredible stories, like I say whether it's an origin story, whether it's a specific event that took place in a tournament round, whether it's a, a specific uh, period in one's life. Like there's, there's so many stories out here and, and, and most of the stuff that's published is complete shite. So yeah, I was wanting I to make a change and then life hit and lo and behold, you know, it was two and a half years later, I'm like, oh yeah, I said, I wanted to do that. And Alan <laughs> kind of came up to me and was like, Hey, you know, I think it's, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to, I'm wanting to start a podcast and I want you to be on it because we can sort of talk about for, you know, the game in and of itself from completely different perspectives, you from inside the ropes, me from outside the ropes, <clears throat> pardon me, Sorry. outside the ropes, watching you inside the ropes kind of a thing and, and, mm-hmm. and sort of just giving a different perspective on things as well as providing people an idea of what life is really like. Because again, just like the golf publications, for the most part, the telecast is crap. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the yeah. best things out there has been the inception of PJ Tour Live because all of a sudden you're like, oh, so Bryson DeChambeau shot 67 but he didn't hit 67 perfect shots. You're like, oh, he's not this demigod. He's just some dude that occasionally snap hooks a wedge from 80 yards. (laughs) Like, okay, he's human. And so PJ Tour Live has done an amazing job at being able to bring, one, their viewers more intimately close with the players that are out playing, as well as a, a reality check. Because yeah. you look at the stuff that, uh, you know, whether it's the NBC Universal family um, or whether it's, you know, Sky or BBC, like I still love them. But you sit there and you're just like, wow, look at all these darts that everyone's hitting. I'm like, if everyone was hitting darts all day, every day, how come there are not more sub 60 rounds? There are already way too many, but that's yeah. not what the reality is. You know, it's like, oh, occasionally you'll show someone having two pars in one hole. That's kind of fun, but it's <laughs> so far and few between where showing the up and downs for par, the, um, you know, the recovery shots and how, how incredible they are. And not just from tiger, because it's, it obviously tiger, um, is an anomaly amongst anomalies, but like his and, and his recoveries were, and hopefully one day will be um, the stuff of legends, but mm-hmm. p- you, you have to have those on occasion on, on tour in order to be able to make it in order to be able to win. And, and so show showcasing 
more of those I think is hugely important because that way you don't put these golfers on these stupid pedestals. Like you sit there and it's like, ah, yeah, maybe you're not worth $20 million in PIP in all honesty. What what do you make of all this that's going on now? I mean, it's going on more in the men's game, but I don't know whether it's something that's going to take over all the golfing game. But this whole kind of idea now of those that are popular, more popular on social media are going to be effectively paid more because it's something that's getting bigger and bigger in the men's game, isn't it? And it looks like maybe this whole thing with Bryson and Brooks, what they're doing recently is kind of to play up to that. What's your opinion on all that particular topic? Well, uh, first off, it's not you know, just sort of being enhanced on the men's tour. It's solely specifically on the men's tour. Okay. And secondly, it's complete bullshit because I'd be curious to know how much money, let's say if Bryson ends up number one, what percentage Mm -hmm. is his social media handler going to get for tweeting how amazing Sam Burns' victory at the Valspar was on Bryson's account? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he should be automatically disqualified from it, in my opinion, because if you want to build your brand, first of all, gross, because I think branding is gross <laughs> in and of itself. Um, your brand should just be who you are. And if you're a piece of shit, all right, cool. You're a piece of shit. At least you're genuine. Yeah. Um, not that Bryson is. I know nothing about him because nobody does because he's so branded. <laughs> Um, but if you're passing that on to someone else, I think you should be automatically disqualified. Yeah. Everyone is old enough where they can put together 280 characters. And if you're not that clever, don't try and pretend to be like, what would happen if you have a kid 15 years down the road, who's on their own form of social media and their hero ends up, you know, posting these things. And then they've turn around and find out that they're actually pieces of shit yeah like how crushed would you would 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 your kid be or how crushed would you be if you found out that the person that you thought of as a hero was a complete piece of shit like that's what's wrong with just being genuine with who you are and accepting of that so I, I think that some of the the PIP program I um I I understand how it's sort of uh done in retaliation with the I don't know, the SPL, the GL something, whatever the, whatever the hell those people that don't like women driving are doing, whatever the fuck. But, um, you know, at the same time, let people do what they want. Don't make them feel forced to have to do something. And if you don't like being on social media, you don't have to be on it. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all very good points. I mean, do you think it's something that's going to, kind of maybe die out though or are you worried that maybe it's something that's going to start to tarnish the game a little bit or is it maybe just a phrase a phase that's happening at the moment what do you think about the most popular golfer in modern day history everything about that person was a brand which Mm -hmm. we unfortunately did find out you know in the in 2009 2010 so this isn't necessarily something new they're just potentially getting paid for it mm-hmm. sure. um so that just doesn't have to be something that i abide by or something that i have to it's going to exist whether i object to it or not because mine is the farthest thing from the word of god so just just doesn't have to be a part of my life sure 
Yeah. And, w- and where do you see the whole situation? Uh, again, it's another topic that goes on between the, the men and the women, as you uh, touched on before with the with the pay. How, how First of all, how do you see that progression of women's golf over the kind of last 10 years? And how do you feel about where the women's game is at today? Um, you know, what do you think needs to be done in terms of improving that whole situation of, you know, getting them what they deserve, like the, like the men get? Well, uh, it's, it's a multifaceted question because yep. obviously the women are not getting paid enough. Two, the men are getting paid way too much, if you ask me. Uh, we're chasing little white golf balls around. Get over yourself. Mm-hmm. And above all else, um, you know, obviously in the last 10 years, 12 years, ever since Mike Wan has come on board as our now departing commissioner, he has done such an incredible job being such a wonderful advocate for one, the game of golf, two for professional golf, three for women's professional golf and, and four for women's golf in general. Um, but <laughs> It, it's not just women's golf. This is a societal problem that we have. Mm. So until people come to the realization that female lives matter and that women are worthy of stuff, like you, 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 you kind of sit there and think about it. And it's like, well, you are aware that without eggs, babies can't happen also. Yeah. I mean, it goes much further than golf basically, doesn't it? No, it's, 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 it's as, it's as old as the, the, it's, it's as old as time, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and although there are certain factions of, of certain tribes of, of people that were uh, focused more on, on matriarchies and things like that, which I think is, you know, a little bit cooler, but still like, we're all just people. Um, And so money's going to come by way of network television and sponsorship deals in that regard but if society doesn't change that'll never change and people's perception of the value of women will never change so my belief is either you get someone like a molly solomon who's the um i think she's the executive president executive vice president the top 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 person at the golf channel to Mm -hmm. actually have the guts to say, we're going to put a big investment into women's golf and actually provide them with the cameras and the time and all of that to be able to build our audience, to actually realize that they're worth what they, um, or that they, that what their worth is so that Mm -hmm. we can help elevate women's golf. And as a result of that, women in general, um, or if you go about it in another way of where, where people are, are, you know, in their own way, working towards equality between men and women, um, obviously equality between races is also something that's vitally important is something that I'm super passionate about equality for people in the LGBTQAIP plus family, uh, religious equality, you know, it's just, it's just because someone's not you doesn't mean you have to be so scared that you don't like them. Like, sure, you know, whenever there's anything negative kind of going around, um, cause I try and sit here and, and focus on ways that we can come across solutions, you know? And so I listed a couple of them right there that, you know, if, if someone has something, um, you know, negative to say in, in something that they don't know anything about, I'm like, eh, I, I think that says a little bit more about you than the actual topic, you know, and and there's nothing wrong with continuing to educate yourself the older you get. Like that's something that I've come to find is one of my favorite things is one being wrong so that I can learn Learn. period, you know, and, and, and learn 
what the right thing to do is. I'm no saint. I've, I've said things in the past. I've done things in the past. No one is perfect, but mm-hmm. I've worked hard to make amends and I've worked hard to right some of the wrongs that I've, I've done. And that's great. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just all seems a bit silly because number one, you know, a lot of these things that we're talking about, they're not harming anybody else. As you said, it's just people want to be different to you. It doesn't mean that you have to be against that. And then, you know, number two, as you also mentioned, it's just a case of education. And there's a lot of people that aren't educated on these topics to be able to just have a conversation about it. They just prefer to, I don't know, dislike it as such. Just seems seems silly that we that we have these sort of kind of issues in this day and age. Yeah, I, I feel like there are a lot more instances where people like to, instead of talking with someone, um, they like to talk at them, you know, mm-hmm. and, and there is that social contract. And it, it's something that I've joked about with my caddy where I sit there and say, you know, anytime I come across a new, uh, whether it's a rookie or just someone that I hadn't been paired with before in a tournament, I say, okay, well, we're walking onto the first tee and we're both presented with the social conversation contract. Mm -hmm. And to me, the way that I interpret it is you ask questions and then you receive an answer. And at some stage, you also get asked a question and you respond with your answer. And so there are a couple, there's like a couple of players where I'm like, yeah, um, I think they're contract got lost in the mail because I'm still waiting (laughs) on, you know, I've asked like 427 questions. I've gotten 427 (laughs) answers, which is great. But I uh, still waiting on that first question to get asked of me, you know? So Mm -hmm. when you get someone that likes to talk at you, then it's like, okay, well, and that's okay. You know, that's the life that they want to live. I'm just going to make sure that my encounters with you are the ones where I'm forced to inside of the ropes. Sure. And you mentioned a little bit there as well about the race equality amongst many other issues. Um, I know you had a lot of issues a while ago, didn't you, when people were questioning you for being an American Korean and they, they, they seem to dislike that in South Korea. Is that, is that correct? So I read that somewhere. Oh, years ago. Yeah. I yeah. don't give a shit about that anymore. That's that yeah. talks more about them than it does about me. Like I'm like okay, like I could have predicted where I was going to get expelled well, yeah, where, from my mother. Like okay, where you, where cool. you were born. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just read it in an article, and to be honest, couldn't really believe what I was reading. But the main reason I wanted to bring this up is because I was going to say you've obviously got those. Um, you know, you're you're from South Korean roots, and you guys must be really proud of what's going on at the moment. I mean. There's just a ton of talent that is coming out of South Korea at the moment, whether it's South Korean Americans or people that are just born in South Korea. What do you think the kind of reason for that is that we're we're seeing so much talent, especially in the women's game? It seems to be um, always a lot of South Koreans that are towards the top of the leaderboard, which is great. Yeah, it's been like that for the last 20 years. Um, yeah. You know, I, I would say Seri Pak is quite possibly, and it, it's, it's something worth discussing with people about who the most influential golfer around the world is and I I like to think that there is a very fair argument to say it was Sari Pak and not Tiger Woods in the in this more modern recent era because so many people are so focused on you know whether it's America and Europe and they don't necessarily realize the actual percentage boom of golfers in general that has come out of 
um, America, Europe, and Asia. And mm -hmm. to me, there's no question because you look at the sheer numbers that are out there. And for me, I would say that Sari Pak was one of the most influential golfers of realistically any era. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I mean, that's just, you know, she, she sort of opened the door and was like, hey, we can do this too. We can chase around a little white ball and stick it in a <laughs> hole as quickly as we possibly can. <laughs> yeah I mean I was speaking to um Anna Manami in another episode and she plays she's got a PGA card on the Taiwan PGA and then she's also Chase LPGA and also the JPL JPL easy for me today JLPGA to JPLGA <laughs> easy for me to say I mean yeah we were talking about fairly some you know something fairly similar in terms of the the talent that that you know Asian golf has as well and as you said it's not something that's maybe necessarily started recently but even you know Japan as she said there's there's good players in Taiwan now you've got South Korea so I think the whole of Asia not just South Korea is is, is producing some really really good players at the moment mm -hmm. yeah well listen I think we're going to leave it there because it's already been an hour and I know you probably have a ton of things to do are you going back to practice today or is that it for today <laughs> I don't know. Uh, a lot of it just kind of depends on what the weather's going to dictate. And a lot of it just kind of depends on uh, how hot it's going to get. Where, where are you at then the moment then? Uh, I, I'm here in Florida right now. In Florida. Okay. So you got some nice weather. It could be fun to get out and practice. It's like end of June. No, it must be nice and hot there. No? Yeah. It depends on what you determine to be nice and hot. Um, oh, okay. I don't mind 30 degrees. <laughs> I just don't necessarily <laughs> want it to be combined with 94% humidity. Um, you know, yeah. it's, 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 it can get quite balmy over here. And as a result, we do encounter a fair number of storms. So sure. that's why I say it's all kind of weather dependent. Cause if there's <laughs> lightning overhead, the last thing I'm going to do is have a, you know, steel shaft pointed up at the sky. <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably cause I'm from the UK. So anything that's not raining, I'm like, this is, this is summer weather now. This is perfect. Yeah. Play some golf. <laughs> hey, you well, just be careful. You know what they say? I mean, it's, it's, the last thing I would want is for there to be a heat wave going through the UK like there is in the Pacific Northwest and California. Y'all don't got air conditioning no, because you don't need it. And let's hopefully not have you guys need it. No, it was like 24 degrees last uh, last week here and everybody was outside the pubs and the bars with, with no shirts on. That was our, oh, that was God. it. That was, that, yeah, that's what it gets like here. That was our summer. <laughs> not good, not good. Well, listen, Christine, anyway, I just want to say thank you for your time again. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to come on and talk to us. It's been really great. Thank you very much. Of course, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. So everybody that wants to find you, they can find you on the Christina Kim on Instagram. And then your, uh, your podcast is on Spotify. Graham on Twitter, pretty much on all social media platforms. On all social. And the podcast is on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Is that correct? Spotify, Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, I think Stitcher, and I don't know, pretty much anywhere you can, uh, any, was it anywhere you get your podcasts, I think is what we're supposed to say. <laughs> it's <not> the slogan. <laughs> well, I look forward to watching you play the LPGA and the, the LET, and uh, yeah, good luck for the future. Thank you for Thank talking you so to me today. Thanks, Thanks Christine. Alex.